I mentioned last week that, uh, you know, I, I, told, I told Nancy uh, a few weeks ago, I said, you know, in, in, in light of the year that we've had, 2020, is, it's, it's been an, a rather interesting year. It's been a difficult year. It's been a trying year, all that. I said, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be pretty awesome if, if, if this Christmas, like we had a white Christmas, like we got to see some snow? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be nice? And, 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 and I know the chances of that are a little slim next to impossible, but, but it could happen, right? It could happen. I mean, wouldn't you like to, to wake up Christmas morning and see like the whole yard covered in snow? Not the kind that you have to shovel though. Like, like I said, I don't, I don't like shoveling snow, but, but just enough to make it look pretty, just enough to, enough to make it look nice. Like I thought, wouldn't that be awesome? And Nancy looked at me and she said, well, not likely. It's not likely going to happen. It's not saying it can't happen, but, but you know how Texas is. It's just, it, 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 it just, it's not likely it's going to happen. The chances are very, very slim. And so uh, I'm hoping hoping that we get to see that. But if not, I believe it is possible for us to still experience a white Christmas. Still experience a white Christmas. Not so much as it pertains to the weather, but really as it pertains to the condition of our heart in relation to forgiveness. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 God, through the prophet Isaiah, is speaking to the children of Israel. And uh, Israel at this time is, 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 is in a season of, of rebellion and sin against God. In Isaiah 1.18, uh, uh, God, through the prophet Isaiah, uh, reminds the children of Israel what has been made available to them. Though they are walking and living in sin and they are rebelling against God, in Isaiah 1.18, this is, this is what God says to his children. This is what God says to a, children, to a group of children that are rebelling against him, that are sinning against him. He says this in verse 18. He says, come now, let us settle this matter says the Lord. Let's stop right there for a moment. I love how, how, how the, 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 the personality and characteristic of God in that he says, the, come now, let's settle this matter. Let's, let's get this thing right. I know you're in sin. I know you're rebelling against me, but let's, let's settle this right now. Let's, let's make this right, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Or another translation says, white as wool. And so God is reminding the children of Israel of what is made available to them. He's basically saying, if, if, you, if you repent of your sin and you, you ask for forgiveness, I'll, I'll forgive you of your sin. But not only will I forgive you of sin, the, the, the stain of sin that has been left on your life, I will wash it for you. I will cleanse you. I will purify you. I will make you clean. And he's telling them what is made available to them. And the, that's awesome news. But, but even some, something more awesome than that is the fact that that is also made available for us. That if we would ask for forgiveness of our sin, if we would repent of our sin, God will forgive us. But not only will he forgive us, but, but the stain of sin on our life, he will cleanse, he will wash us. He will purify us. He will not leave us in the same state we came in. That is made available to us. Isn't that good news? I, I, I think that's good news. Two of you think that's good news. That's awesome. I'll take you two. He will wash us. He will cleanse us. He will purify us. He will make us new. 
And as awesome as that is and as wonderful as that is, as I mentioned last week, the problem with that and the dilemma that we, we face with that is that, that we, we as, as, as sons and daughters of, of, of God, we, we, we like to receive forgiveness. We, we love the idea and the thought and the reality of receiving forgiveness. The problem and the issue lies in us giving forgiveness. And, and as I mentioned last week, this is not a, 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 a message to minimize the fact that some of you have been deeply wounded. Some of you have been deeply hurt by, by somebody in your life. Somebody has hurt you. Somebody has wounded you. And maybe you, you, you're, you're walking through life right now. Maybe you're walking through life uh, 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 within the church, as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, maybe you're walking through life and you're, you're holding and harboring unforgiveness towards that person that caused you harm. Maybe you're uh, harboring and holding unforgiveness towards that person that has wounded you, that has offended you. Maybe, maybe that is you this morning. Maybe you may say, well, Chris, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know the pain that they caused me. You don't know the wounds that they have left me with. And and the reality is I don't. I don't. But what I do know is that when we walk through life with unforgiveness, that when we walk through life harboring unforgiveness towards somebody else, it is really difficult for us to truly thrive and flourish in our lives when we're holding unforgiveness towards other people. It's really difficult. I mean, even the Bible speaks to this uh, in Proverbs 18, 19. Proverbs 18, 19 says this. It says, a brother wronged or offended is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. And so what he's saying there is this. He's saying that a, that a, a wrong brother, a, a wounded brother, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. Talking about a walled up city. And so basically what that means is somebody who's been offended is more likely to put a wall up around their life for protection. Why? Because they don't want to be offended anymore. They don't want to be wounded anymore. They don't want to be hurt anymore. The problem with that is when you put a wall up around your life, you don't just keep the people who offended you out. You keep everybody else out. It affects everyone. It affects your loved ones. It affects those around you. Why? Because we know what it's like to walk around with unforgiveness in our heart. We know what it's like to walk around holding and harboring these ill feelings towards that person that hurt us. And so the Bible's clear. Yeah, we get it. God gets it. He knows. A wounded brother, an offended brother, is like a fortified city, a walled-up city, unyielding. And so... The thing that we have to remember, Jesus tells us this. He told us, he says, in this world you will have trouble. And so he's saying that, look, in this world you're going to experience trouble. You're going to experience trials. You're going to experience some bad things. You're going to experience offense. People are going to offend you. People are going to hurt you. People are going to wound you. 
There is not a person in this room right now or a person watching online right now who has not been offended. We've all been offended at some time or another in our life. We've all been hurt and wounded by somebody in our lives. Offense is going to happen. Wounding and being hurt by others, it's going to happen. It's bound to happen. Jesus said, man, in this world you will have trouble. You will. It's it's inevitable. We will experience offense. And and, and I want to present that to you today because I believe it's a common ground that we all have today. And and in fact, let let me take it a step further and show you even further how much common ground we have in being offended. The first thing I want to ask you is how many of you have ever been offended? Right? Some degree. It starts when we're a kid, right? When somebody takes a toy away from you or whatever. Like, like as, a, as a kid, we've been offended. And obviously, we, as we mature and grow up in age, we, we find that we still are getting offended to some degree. So we've all been offended. But let's go even a step further and let's, let's, let's take this a step further. Let me give you kind of a list of different offenses that maybe you've experienced. And let's just see what kind of common ground we have uh, uh, this morning. How many of you have ever been betrayed before? Anybody ever experienced betrayal? Betrayal is horrible because oftentimes uh, the worst betrayal is, is by someone who's been closest to us. Sometimes the worst betrayal is by those that we would call friend those that we would call family, those that have been closest to us, we've all experienced betrayal. We've all experienced some form of betrayal. What about false accusation? Has anybody here ever been lied on? Has anybody ever lied about you? Anybody ever thrown a false accusation your way that just wasn't true? I mean, that's probably one of my biggest things right now. Like, there's not a lot of things that upset me and anger me, but, 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 but when somebody is lying about me, when somebody is, is misunderstanding me or somebody is not telling the truth about me, that just always seems to get me because I'm like, no, that's not me. That's not what I'm trying to do. No, quit lying about me. Quit falsely accusing me. It's no fun being lied on. It's no fun being lied about. It's no fun. So we've all experienced some form of false accusation. So betrayal, false accusation. Has anybody here ever been rejected before? Outright rejected you? Overlooked you? Don't want anything to do with you? Rejection. It's common ground. Has anybody here ever experienced some form of abuse before? There's varying degrees of abuse. There's physical abuse. There's emotional abuse. There's verbal abuse. There's sexual abuse. This room has varying degrees of abuse that you've experienced, that I've experienced. Those watching online, you've experienced some form of abuse in your lifetime. And the last one on the list here, how many of you have ever been humiliated by someone? Just outrightly embarrassed humiliation. 
How many of you have experienced some form of, of, of embarrassment and humiliation that just, just made you just want to go hide and cover yourself and not come out anymore, right? We've, we've all experienced some degree of humiliation. We've all experienced some degree of embarrassment from someone before. And so that's just a, a, a list of, of, of offenses that, that I believe we all have a common ground with. It's a list of offenses I think we've all experienced at some time or another. But, but the reality is, and the truth of the matter is, this wasn't just some random list that I came up with about offenses. This is actually a list of offenses that we have a common ground with, not only with each other, but we also have a common ground with Jesus. Because see, Jesus himself experienced every single one of these offenses on the list. In the final moments of his life on earth, Jesus experienced every single one of these offenses. Jesus knows what it is to experience betrayal. One of his closest partners and disciples, Judas, betrayed him. One that he has shared life with, one that he has walked with, one that he has traveled with, one that he has ministered with. This, this Judas, this man who had a front row seat to seeing the life of Jesus, he had a front row seat to seeing the miracles of Jesus, had a front row seat to seeing the Son of God. This man, this disciple, this close friend, Judas, betrayed Jesus. Jesus knows betrayal. And it was that betrayal that leads him to the road to the cross. Because along that betrayal, there's also false accusation. The only way they could put Jesus on trial is to lie on him, is to falsely accuse him. Make up stories about him, make up things about him. Why? He knows what it is to be falsely accused. He knows what it is to be lied upon. False accusation, betrayal, rejection, rejection. Jesus knows what it is to be rejected because when he was arrested, first we see where Judas betrays him, Judas uh, 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 rejects him in that regard, but then, but then what happened to the rest of the disciples? Jesus, you, you had 12. Okay, well, one's out. Judas is out. He betrayed you. But what happened to the rest of the 11? Well, will they, will they abandon him? They abandoned Jesus in that time of need. They abandoned Jesus while he's getting arrested. They left him. They fled for their life. They rejected him. In fact, one of his closest, his right-hand man, Peter, denies he even knew Jesus three times. Rejection. Or what about the fact that the very people that he came to save were the same ones that were mocking him on his way to the cross? That's rejection. So Jesus knows betrayal. He knows false accusation. He knows rejection. 
Jesus also knows abuse, physical, verbal, every punch to the body, every punch to the face, being whipped so bad that flesh rips off his body. I mean, yeah, that's, that, that, that sounds gruesome, but let that sit for a moment because there was nothing pretty about it. He knows abuse. Beard being ripped from his face. Being beat up so bad, the Bible says he was just unrecognizable. Abuse. The hands of the people he came to save. And so he knows offense. He knows hurt. He knows betrayal. He knows false accusation. He knows rejection. He knows abuse. He knows humiliation. Because even after all that that he went through, they nail him to a cross and holster the cross up and put on display for everyone to see. Many theologians, many commentators uh, come to the agreement that they believe Jesus was just outright naked. I know we see depictions of a, of a cloth that, that, that covers him and cl- covers his parts up, but, but, but many believe that, that, that the Roman crucifixion, they wanted the utmost humiliation on that person they were crucifying, that they stripped him of all his clothes. And so he's, he's, he's basically put on display, on a cross, ble- bleeding and, and, and bruised and hurt, naked, humiliated before the people to see. Jesus knows offense. Jesus knows humiliation. Jesus knows abuse. This isn't just a random list. It's a common ground list that we have with Jesus. He understands offense. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 says, For this reason... Verse 17 says, for this reason, he had to be made like them. Who's them? Us. Humanity. People. He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Let's, let's, let's understand this for a moment. In order that he may, may be a faithful, merciful high priest. Let's, let's, just, let's just stay on that for a moment just so you get an understanding of what that means. Basically what that means is a, a high priest, a priest is a mediator between God and man. And so he had to become like us. He had to experience what we experienced so he could be a a, a merciful and faithful high priest or a merciful and faithful mediator between God and man. I mean, the Bible tells us that Jesus is making intercession for us. That doesn't just mean he's praying for us somewhere, but what that means is he's standing in the gap for us. And he's telling his father about us. You see that rejection that Chris is experiencing? 
I've experienced that too. I know what that feels like. You see that abuse that Nancy is experiencing? Oh, Father, I I know what that abuse feels like. I know what it is to be abused like that. You you, you see uh, the humiliation uh, that Dennis is experiencing right now? Father, I I know what it is to be humiliated. I remember I was on that cross. I I know humiliation. He, he He is making intercession for us. He is the mediator between us and God. And it says that he had to be, he had to become like us. He had to experience that. Why? So he would truly be a faithful and merciful high priest, a faithful and merciful mediator between us and God. He isn't just some high priest that doesn't relate to us. He isn't just some high priest that doesn't know what we go through. No, he's a high priest that understands us. He knows rejection. He knows abuse. He knows offense. He knows what it is to be offended. And let me tell you something this morning. That ought to be one of your most favorite verses in the entire Bible. Why? Because there is nobody else you would want to be a mediator for you other than Jesus. The high priest. Take your, take your mind off the collar for a moment. Not that priest. The high priest. The mediator who understands us. The intercessor that knows us. The, un, the intercessor that gets us. To be a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And so we get it, right? We understand. Okay, I understand now, Chris. Jesus understands what we go through. Jesus understands what it is to be offended. Jesus understands what it is to be hurt. Okay, I, I, I get that. And, and that, that brings me some comfort. But, 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 Chris, I'm still dealing with my own offense. I'm still dealing with this one person that hurt me or these multiple people that hurt me. This person that betrayed me, this person that lied on me, this person that humiliated me, this person that abused me, I still see them, and every time I see them, I can't stand the sight of them. How do I forgive what they've done to me? How do I just release the hurt that they've caused me? And this morning, I want to give you the key to that. See, now that we know that Jesus understands us, now that we know that Jesus can relate to us in this matter, let let me give you the key to forgiveness. The key to you forgiving that person who hurt you. 1 Peter 4.1 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, right? So since Christ experienced the abuse and the pain and the torment and the, and the, and the, and the uh, rejection and the betrayal, since Christ experienced all the offenses that we experience, and Christ suffered in his body, what do we do? Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. 
Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And so what is he saying there? What is he trying to communicate with us there? He's saying, I need you to take on the same mindset and the same attitude of Jesus. Well, what is the attitude of Jesus? Luke 23, 34, right in the middle of his suffering, right in the middle of his pain, right when he's on the cross, the first thing that he says is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In the middle of his pain, in the middle of the abuse, in the middle of his humiliation, put on display for everybody to see. In the middle of the humiliation, he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. So what does that mean? The Bible says to arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Think like Jesus whenever you get offended. Think like Jesus whenever you experience abuse. Think like Jesus whenever you experience rejection. Think like Jesus whenever you experience humiliation at the hands of somebody else. Think like Jesus. And what does Jesus think? He says, forgive them. For they don't know what they do. And it's not like the the people that, that crucified him didn't know exactly what they were doing. It's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying there is he's saying, man, they don't get the fact that I'm the son of God. They don't get that. They don't get the fact that what I'm doing, I'm doing for them. They don't understand that. So forgive them. Forgive them. That's the key to forgiving people. That's the key to releasing your offender. It's to arm yourself with the attitude of Jesus. Arm yourself. Put on the mind of Christ. Think like Jesus would think in this moment. Think like him in the middle of your offense. So let me just leave you this morning with just some practical things for you to do. See, I'm just trying to put us on the steps to forgiveness. I'm trying to put us on the steps to forgiving people because, see, last week I issued the challenge last week at the end of the service. I said there are people in your life who have offended you that you're harboring unforgiveness towards. And I gave you some steps, and, and maybe some of you took those, and maybe some of you did that this week, and you reached out to that person, or, or maybe just within yourself, within your heart, you, you forgave that person, you released that person. But maybe some of you are still on the fence. Maybe some of you are still like, ah, I'm just still not convinced. They hurt me way too bad. It's just too painful. They don't deserve my forgiveness. And so let me, again, put us on that path. Just some practical things and practical steps that we need to take within ourselves to be on the road to forgiving people. 
Number one, write this down, and this is, this is a big one for us. Remember that I need forgiveness too. Remember, I need forgiveness too. Romans 3.23 says, for we have all sinned. We've all sinned. You've sinned. I've sinned. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinful people. We've all done things in our lives that have been offense, offended God, that have been an offense to God. We've all done things in our lives that have placed us in a position of rebellion against God. And so the next time you're thinking about unforgiving, uh, 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 unforgiving somebody and, and keeping them uh, uh, in, in your, on your list and keeping them, uh, uh, not releasing them and not forgive them, forgiving them, the next time you think about that, just remember you're somebody who needed forgiveness too. We've all sinned. Fall short of the glory of God. And, and that's why uh, Scripture tells us, Matthew 10, it, it tells us there that, that, that to f- freely give because we have freely received, right? So, like, we've freely received this wonderful gift of forgiveness. We've freely received this wonderful gift of grace. And in the same action, in the same boat, we must also freely give. I've received forgiveness that I did not deserve. Remember that the next time you think that that person doesn't doesn't deserve your forgiveness. Remember, I need forgiveness too. The second thing we must do uh, on the step in this road to forgiving people is we've got to refocus on the real enemy. Refocus on the real enemy, Ephesians 6, 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This isn't a, a fight against another person. This isn't a fight against somebody else in flesh and blood. This is a, this is a fight against, against dark forces, against spiritual forces. There is a real enemy. And let me tell you something this morning. Your enemy, my enemy, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, He hates you, and he would love nothing more than for you to walk in unforgiveness. Why? Because he knows that if you walk in unforgiveness, that eventually that's going to lead to bitterness, and that bitterness is going to turn to hate. And some of you right now, some of you watching online, there are people that you just outrightly hate. And your enemy and my enemy, Satan, loves that. Because he knows that you will never truly experience everything that God has for your life. You'll never truly experience abundant living, the abundant living that Jesus has promised us. He knows we'll never truly experience that when we're walking in unforgiveness. He knows we'll never truly experience that when we have bitterness on the inside of us, when we have hatred on the inside of us. And so we've got to refocus on the real enemy. He wants you not to forgive. 
He wants you to hate that person. He wants you to have thoughts of getting even. He wants you to have thoughts of bitterness towards that individual. He wants you to walk through life with that, with you holding on to that, because he knows you'll never thrive. He knows you'll never flourish in this life, holding on to all of that. We got to refocus on the real enemy. He knows, and he loves it. Our battle isn't against a person. A person may have abused you. A person may have hurt you. You've heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. There's this cycle that is going on. I don't know about you, but I want to be one with the power of the Holy Spirit that breaks that cycle. We've got to refocus on the real enemy because he hates you. He hates me. Thirdly, And this is where it gets probably the most difficult. Sounds easy, but it's difficult. We've got to receive the love of God. Now, what does that mean? And what's that got to do with forgiving people? 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Let's, let's, let's establish that really quick. We only love because he first loved us. What that means is that God was pursuing you before he was even on your radar. Before you were even thinking about God, he was pursuing you. The only reason we're able to love is because he first loved us. And so now that we have that established, let's move forward. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. In order for us to truly receive the love of God, to walk in that love, to abound in that love, We've got to acknowledge the fact that the only reason why we're able to love is because he first loved us. He first pursued us. And can I tell you something? He was loving you when you were unlovable. He was loving you even in the middle of your rebellion towards him. He was loving you even in the middle of your sin against him. When you cursed him. He was loving you as a liar. He was loving you as a cheater. He was loving you as a drug addict. He was loving you as an alcoholic. He was loving you as a porn addict. He was loving you as a womanizer. He was loving you as a cheat, as a liar. He was loving you in the midst of all your wickedness. He was loving you and pursuing you. That's how he feels about you. And I don't know about you, but I want to walk in that abounding love. And he tells me, he tells me, 
How can I truly love God if I hate my brother? If I'm walking in bitterness and unforgiveness towards another person, I can't truly love him. I can't truly walk in that abounding love that God promises me. And so this morning, again, I challenge you, and Dennis, you can come on up. I challenge you. If there are people in your life that you're harboring unforgiveness towards, if there are people in your life that you're, that you're bitter towards, if there are people in your life that you, you're on the verge of hating them, for what they did to you. And again, this is not minimizing what they did to you. And as I said last week, this is not you letting them off the hook. But this is you taking them off your hook and placing them on God's hook and saying, God, look, I released them. I can't deal with them. Lord, I'm going to let you deal with them. I release them. I forgive them. And remember, when you forgive somebody, you release a lot of rights. You release the right to get even with them. You also release the right to hear an apology. Because they may never apologize to you. They may never tell you they're sorry. They may not, they may not even feel bad for what they did to you. But in forgiveness, you release that right because it's not about them. It's about you and God. And you have a high priest that understands you. You have a high priest that gets you. Jesus knows rejection. He knows abandonment. He knows abuse. He knows humiliation. He knows betrayal. He knows it because he experienced it. Therefore, we must arm ourselves with the same attitude of Christ. In that in the midst of his pain and abuse, he said, Father, forgive me.